This is a podcast from Minute Media. Welcome to Bet and Breakfast, a podcast from BetSided. Hey, does anybody want coffee? Who wants coffee? It's sports betting for everyone. I'm here to tell you today that the New York Yankees season is done. Stick a fork in them, it's over. Lamar Jackson, I can't believe he's that low on the list that he's my bet for sure at this point in the season. Early leans, best bets, props, parlays. If you can bet it, we've got it. I'm taking the over on this. If you look at the last five games, this is a game waiting for points to be scored. Tom Brady, I think everyone's heard of him. If Brady puts up the numbers, they have the 10th easiest schedule the rest of the way. Get in, get out, and you're ready to go. I think they're going to have to give him the award if Dallas ends up locking up this division and possibly even that number one seed. And here are your hosts, Ben Heisler, Ian McMillan, Peter Dewey, Donovan Smoot, and Reed Wallach. What comes before anything? What have we always said is the most important thing? Breakfast family. I thought you meant the things you need. What's happening, people? Welcome in to Bet and Breakfast on a Sunday. Ben Heisler, Ian McMillan with you. We got a Stanley Cup final. We're going to dive into it, get over into the basic things that you need to know is the avalanche and Tampa Bay Lightning back in it again. Ho-hum, trying to go for three straights. Uh, pretty remarkable accomplishment, something that they might be able to knock up for the first time since the 1980s in the New York Islanders, but we'll get into that. We also got some thoughts on a Sunday on a top stack at the Canadian Open this week. Have you, Ian, have you been to Royal St. George's before? Have you gotten a chance to explore the, the beauty uh, of that course in your homeland? I have not, unfortunately. It's uh, it's a Toronto-based course. It's been a long, long time since I've been to Toronto, so I have not, but hopefully someday. All right, very good. So we'll find out some of the plays at the top of the leaderboard, really stacked field at the top. And, of course, we'll dive into our best bets of the day as well. Uh, Ian, looking at uh, a play in Major League Baseball for the Sunday night game, I got a uh, mid-afternoon matchup in the WNBA that uh, I'm very much looking forward to jumping on for today as the WNBA series of bets uh, continues for your boy. But Ian, we got a Stanley Cup final. And first of all, uh, I want to give you kudos. Uh, You're the king of content. And uh, after the New York Rangers were uh, were up 2-0, you went on uh, your Twitter account, at EMACBets, and you said, I have placed a probably... uh, irresponsible amount of money on the Tampa Bay Lightning to come back and win this series. Sure enough, four straight games. You'd called the Rangers frauds earlier in the year. He corrected that take. It's not calling them frauds, but fraudulent, right? Like there's a slight difference between saying they don't deserve to be there to, well, they, they've made some changes and they still don't really deserve to be here, but they're not terrible. Here we are, four games later, and the Lightning are back. What changed in the series and what gave you a lot of confidence initially to say, all right, despite the fact that they're down 2-0, I fully believe this is an opportunity for them to take advantage and also hit on a nice payday as well. Yeah, to be fair, I, I will say I put out that article and I placed the bet after they were down one nothing. So I, I, I was one game early with wow. that take. I wish I waited until the end of game two. It obviously would have been a bigger payout. Um but yeah, the, the Rangers, the, I mean, all all regular season, all postseason, their entire, you know, success just came down to Igor Shosturkin. Uh, and it was going to be hard for them to win a seven-game series when they were going up against the next best, or some would say the better goaltender, 
and Andre Vasilevsky. So even though uh, when I wrote that article and the Rangers were down, or the Rangers were up one nothing, and I still felt the same way after the Rangers were up 2 nothing, is if you look at the numbers, and I'm, I'm married to the stats, I'm married to the numbers, the Lightning were largely outplaying them. Like if you look, look at expected goals per game, the Lightning were like 4.07, I think, and the Rangers were like 2.63. Like it was almost a goal and a half difference in expected goals. And usually over a seven-game series, not every single time, but usually uh, the team that's just outplaying the other team comes out on top. So uh, the Rangers got outplayed in both the first two series. I didn't think they were going to win three series straight while getting outplayed, like I said, especially because they had been finally uh, playing against a good goaltender. And that's what we ended up seeing once the Rangers got up to nothing. Uh, even I mean, if you remember, even in game three, the Lightning or the Rangers were up two nothing in game three, too. Like yeah. they looked like they were about to take a three nothing series lead. Um, and then Andre Vasilevsky just turned it on. I think the Rangers only scored what two, three goals the rest of the two goals the rest of the series didn't score again that well, maybe it's three goals, but they, they got a goal in, in the last three games. Uh, one goal each. Tampa Bay beat them four one in game four, three one in game five, and then two to one. In game six. So we saw a real shift. And I, I remember betting the under in game one and it ended up being the Rangers six to two. The the total was five and a half. And I'm thinking, oh, God, is this going to be uh, a series that's going to be similar to what we saw in the Western Conference? Because those are both radically different teams, right? The Avalanche have been nonstop, uh, aggressive, taking a lot of chances. We know that Edmonton doesn't play any defense. And so I thought, OK, maybe the Rangers are going to try and change things up. Tampa Bay took a team like Florida, which was the best offense in the NHL this year, and took them completely out of their game. In four games, the end, the best offense in the NHL scored three total goals. And I thought maybe the Rangers are, are doing something to Tampa initially. But as you said, it was about uh, Vasilevsky getting hot at the right time and kind of proving that the Rangers offense, which had been riding the back of Shesterkin, uh, was eventually going to start to fall back to earth. Yeah, exactly. They were they, they had a very good power play unit all season, but they're never a very strong offensive team. They 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 relied on power play goals and goaltending, and that's will take you far sometimes in the playoffs, but not against a team like the Lightning, who are not only uh, deep, balanced, they're also experienced. Obviously, back to back defending champs, so the rightful team won, and it's setting up for a very good Stanley Cup final against the Avalanche. Yeah, I, I know that uh, the Avalanche had been favorites throughout the course of the season. Um, Lightning, I would imagine, at the beginning of the season, we can go back and double-check this, um, might have been right near the top in the Eastern Conference to make it. So you're talking about two of maybe the, the preseason favorites, perhaps, to get there. I suppose Florida could have been uh, in that mix as well. Um, but Tampa wasn't one of those teams that came out this year and felt very dominant, right? Like they ended up being a wildcard team coming in and they've found ways, especially um, in that second series against Florida where they ended up having the sweep and, uh, and then coming back, they've only uh, I think lost one home game over the course of the entire Stanley cup run. Conversely, you have the avalanche that has not lost a game on the road. They've lost two total games uh, at home over the course of their matchup. Um, but initially looking at the odds, and you just posted something earlier this morning over at BetSided, um, we're talking about a Lightning team that's minus 250. Uh, excuse me, the Avalanche are minus 250 as favorites in this series. The Lightning come in at plus 200. I know that the Avalanche have been there all season long, and then against Edmonton, they really poured it on. But I think you and I are both in agreement here. This this feels like a bit too much in favor of Colorado. And I think a lot of it is to do with some recency bias. I think 
a lot of folks see the dominance over the Oilers who dominated the Flames in the previous series. It just feels like it's a bit too much for a Lightning team that's proven over the course of the postseason run that they deserve to be here. Yeah, I will say, if you're looking to bet on the Lightning, do it at win bet, because I've been looking at the odds in some other places, and the Lightning are, the, the odds are a lot, like, significantly closer, like Lightning around plus 150, plus 160, all the way up to 2-1 to one at win bet. So if you're looking to bet on the Lightning, do it at win bet, because you're getting a lot of value uh, at that sports book if you're looking, looking to bet on Tampa Bay. But yeah, I haven't been high on the Avalanche really all season. I obviously think they're a very, very good hockey team. I don't think they're as good. Um, as some people are praising them as, which means I don't think they deserve to be as big of favorites as they are. They have some holes. Uh, they're not great defensively. They're fine defensively. Uh, their goaltending has actually been a big concern for me uh, these playoffs. They have a team save percentage of 89.9 or 87% in the playoffs, so below uh, 90% save percentage, that's not great. Um, and, of course, they probably won't have uh, Nazim Kadri back in the lineup. Uh, he might make an appearance at some point, but, of course, he got hurt. Um, and the second last game in game three against the Oilers. Uh, and I think it's a busted up thumb. So it's going to be tough for him to make a comeback. Not saying it's possible, but not saying it's impossible, but he's plays a very big role in that avalanche team. He gives them a lot of depth. He gives them grit. Um, he's one of the better second line centers in the NHL. So uh, don't discount the importance of Kadri being out for this series as well. Yeah. And as far as potential places, I know you and I both like, um, like the lightning quite a bit. Um, especially at that odds of plus 200 over at WinBet. If we're thinking about any other potential early lanes, I know that uh, Con Smythe is not out yet over at WinBet, but but who are a couple names that we may want to consider when it comes to figuring out who it should be? Yeah, I think uh, I think that the best play to make if you're looking for the Con Smythe is probably Nikita Kucherov. I think I saw his odds, uh, consensus odds at around four to one, which is right around where Andre Vasilevsky's odds are. But I don't think Vasilevsky has played strong enough throughout the entire playoffs to be given this award. Uh, so if you're going to take someone on the lightning, I think the clear favorite should be Nikita Kucherov. You can get him at around, I think, consensus odds four to one. So um, and one thing that, that a lot of people don't necessarily remember is that it's probably not going to happen this series, but it's not unheard of for a player on the losing team to win the cons might. Like I said, not going to happen this year because I don't think there's been one player dominant enough to do that, but it's happened in the past. I think last time was 2004, uh, JSG Air did it uh, for the Ducks. But uh, yeah, if you want a little bit more, even more value on the Lightning, I think Kucherov would be the clear favorite. And the Avalanche, it's a little bit tougher because it's probably going to be uh, Kale McCarr, but if Nathan McKinnon has a big series, it could go to him as well. Yeah, McCarr has led the team in points, I believe, over the course of the playoffs for them as well. He, you just don't see that from a defenseman in these types of series, but he's been flat-out dominant. So I'll be curious as to where those odds initially come out from the Avalanche side. I, I think from the Lightning side, I think Kucherov, as you said, uh, makes a whole lot of sense. So plenty of discussion over the course of the Stanley Cup playoffs. We'll have it tomorrow on Daily Bet Slip. Make sure you guys tune in right here on YouTube and on Twitter. Uh, 5 p.m. East Coast time. You can catch us Monday through Friday for the Daily Bet Slip. And then also here on Saturdays and Sundays for Bet and Breakfast at 11 a.m. East Coast time. Let's transition on. We got a little bit of PGA Tour action. The Canadian Open taking place, as uh, mentioned in the, the earlier part of the show. I got to tell you, man, like from, from a leaderboard perspective, it's fun seeing some of these names, especially a week before we head over to Brookline for the U.S. Open. 
Right now we're talking about Rory and Tony Finau at the top. They each are at minus 11. Justin Thomas, Sam Burns, who has three tour wins already this year, are behind at minus nine. Wyndham Clark, Alex Smalley also in the line as Mel. Uh, and this is also something that you heard about this morning at, uh, at Wimbetty. And so you've uh, had the, the pulse of the betting nation uh, right in the very get-go of this morning. So tell me a little bit about some potential plays, guys that you might be looking to jump on. Are we looking at the two favorites here? Is it Finau? Is it McElroy? Let's start at the top between those two. Who do you like between the guys at the top to possibly outlast each other? I think I would kind of go Finau. If I were to go by the numbers, I'd go Finau. He's been better uh, tee to green than McElroy has so far that this tournament. McElroy has been the better putter. Um, but then again, Finau gained like almost four strokes on the field yesterday with his putting. I think he shot like seven or eight under yesterday. I think it was tied for his best round on the PGA Tour. But putting is usually a little bit more volatile. So while McElroy has been the better putter throughout the event, I would rather bet on someone who's been better tee to green uh, throughout the event. And that has been Tony Finau. Uh, so if you're looking at to bet, I'm not, I'm going to stay away from the, from the top two guys, the, the, the two, the two co-leaders, uh, Finau and McElroy. Um, but if you want to bet on one of those two guys, I'd go Finau, uh, which is who's plus 280. You're also getting a little bit better value on him than McElroy heading into the final round. There's also probably a little bit of like betters having that, uh, that feeling in the back of their throats. Anytime you're betting Tony Finau on a Sunday, you're like, eh. yes. Is this going to be the day? I, I I really don't want to get hurt again. I've I've seen this movie before. It's like all the Jurassic Park movies. You just know at some point it's not going to go the way that you initially thought it would be. Um, is there concern for you with Finau knowing that history? Or at some point do you say he's too good of a golfer to just play the history here? He's going to come through and this is a reasonable place for him to do it. No, they, uh, there's definitely concern for sure. That's probably why his odds are, are quite a bit longer than McElroy's because of that history. But he did win the Northern Trust last year uh, when he was in the final pairing, and then he went to a playoff and then was clutched in the playoff as well. So um, even though that is still a valid narrative and Fino hasn't played his best golf this year, he did kind of get over that uh, hump, which we see for a lot of guys as kind of a mental block. And once they get past it, then they don't necessarily have those issues again moving forward. So uh, Fino did get over that at the Northern Trust to beat Cam Smith in the playoff, but I'm still concerned for sure, especially just because Fino hasn't been his normal self for the majority of the season. So uh, it's going to be a fascinating final round for sure. And of course, McElroy's trying to become the defending champ. He's the one who won it uh, at the last time that they had the Canadian Open back in 2019. So what about the guys that are bunched up at the top at minus nine? Justin Thomas, obviously going to have the the lowest odds amongst the four between him and Burns and Clark and Smalley. And, and Thomas, of all those guys, had the best score on Saturday. Shot a 63 after two 69s on Thursday and Friday. Uh, Burns, nothing to slouch at on Saturday, too. In fact, you look at the, the bulk of the field. Uh, Saturday was a big moving day for a lot of the guys at the top. You had Burns shoot a 65, uh, Wyndham Clark at a 68, and then Smalley, probably the most consistent uh, of all four of those guys with three straight 67s. And, and sometimes when I'm looking at back golf, um, I don't love taking the guy that was flat out dominant on Saturday because I expect a little bit of regression the following day. I like either finding guys that were just a tad bit worse or maybe had been right around where they should be, um, knowing that they're likely to bounce back. I mean, do you look at Smalley based off of his consistency and say there's some really, really good value for him? Do you look at somebody like Clark who, you know, had the rough day on Friday, but a fantastic day Thursday, kind of fell to where he should be at around the 68? Uh, who are you looking at in this group as a bet that you probably like to be able to make a jump and try and catch up to both Rory and Tony? 
Yeah, so this group is the is the group where I'm placing two of my bets for today. Uh, first one is Sam Burns, seven to one at win bet. I mean, I, mean, I, I wrote about I wrote an article about him two weeks ago after he won the Charles Schwab Challenge. We need to start respecting Sam Burns. This been guy awesome. was, yeah, he's been fantastic. Three wins on tour already this year. He's the number nine ranked golfer in the world. Um, his putting and approach play has been dialed in this week. Uh, he has lost, I think, half a stroke off the tee, so that's kind of the one area that's going to be key for him this uh, today is to kind of keep the ball in the fairway. But uh, we need to start respecting Sam Burns because when we talk about the top golfers on tour, his name never comes up. He's the number nine-ranked golfer in the world. For example, Rory McIlroy is the number eight, so he's like one spot below Rory McIlroy on the official world golf rankings. But yet of the kind of the four big names that are going to be going after, and I'm including him as a big name now, uh, his, his odds are the longest by a significant amount. So um, I am not going to be disrespecting Sam Burns anymore. He has the firepower to do it. He can he can rack up the birdies in a hurry. I'm going to take him at seven to one. And then if you're looking for a guy who's not a household name, kind of in that group, um, and like I, I do think the winner's probably going to come from one of those four big name guys because it's going to be tough to beat all four big name guys in a final round of an event. Uh, but I would go with the guy you mentioned, Alex Smalley, because. Uh, of the top guys, he's actually led the entire field uh, this event in strokes gained T to green, uh, gaining 4.49 on the field's T to green. That's 1.28 more than the next best golfer, which is Justin Thomas, but he's losing strokes, uh, strokes putting. So he has to figure out his flat stick today. But if he figures out his putting but keeps as consistent with his play T to green, uh, he could win this. Now, obviously, there's that added pressure factor. I mean, who knows who Alex Molly is? I'm I, I'm a diehard golf fan. I hardly know who this guy is. So taking down, you know, four titans of the sport in the final round uh, of a tournament is going to be tough. But I think if anyone does it, any any of those, you know, non-household name guys, I think it's Alex Molly just based on his tee to green play today, uh, so far this event. So a few notes from uh, a guy that you and I both follow, who uh, Justin Ray over on Twitter. Oh, he's fantastic. Uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's one of the best. So... Tony Finau shot a 62 on Saturday. That's the lowest career round for him on the PGA Tour. And like you said, his putting been terrific. He gained more than three full strokes putting. It's the best round he's had. You talk about that, the ability to have some confidence going into the final day. At the same time, Rory, I forgot about this. He'd be the first European player to successfully defend his Canadian Open title. Back since Englishman James Douglas Edgar in 1920. So we're talking about a 102 year history behind the last time somebody had won back-to-back Canadian Open. So plenty of history here. I forgot that McElroy had been really, really good. Also something to consider between the two of them, PGA Tour career converting 54 hole leads at the uh, after Saturday. Finau is 0 for 4, Rory McElroy 8 for 14. So the, the issue for Rory has always been getting off to some of those slow starts, particularly in majors. But once he has the lead, especially after 54 holes, it, it's almost been a lock for him, converting at just under 60% of the time. So pretty pretty impressive numbers for Rory in this particular spot. I would imagine, too, if he gets off to a slow start, he'll probably be the guy for me to jump on live, especially if it's slow or a couple guys catch up and maybe that number starts to go down just a little bit. So one thing I wanted to look up while you were while you were talking about those those stats uh, is actually how golfers have done in the fourth round so far this season. Um, obviously, it's a little different when you have the lead, uh, so the, these numbers don't line up, you know, directly with those 
because uh, it's always easier to play on Sunday if you have no chance to win. Um, but in round four scoring average right now on tour, Tony Finau ranks fifth, Justin Thomas ranks seventh, and Rory ranks 11th. So mm. even though like the rate, like, but still the uh, three, the three, you know, top guys in contention today, the final uh, pairing, final group, uh, top 11 in round four scoring average. So we might just see a, just a heavyweight, uh, just a knockout fest, fest today. This guy scoring birdies all over the place, which would be fun. So, and this, by the way, side note, this is exactly what the PGA tour needed after, uh, the live golf event. They needed a yeah. final round fireworks show top of the guys, uh, top, you know, golfers in the world going head to head. So could not have been a better finish, uh, for the PGA tour. So I'm excited for that too. I'm very excited. And from uh, the perspective of live golf, I maybe paid attention to the, the first 20 minutes. I thought the, the broadcast and the stream was actually pretty well done. And then really after that, it, it was hard to keep my attention. I don't know if you had a chance to, to tune in at all or had any interest um, in tuning into that league. But I, if it is able to last, it's going to be because something happens that gets our attention, not just their short term, but I think long term play as well. I even with some of the bigger names that agreed to come on, like the Shambo starting to come on, it to me that's just not enough of a draw to draw consistent, you know, access and entertainment value all throughout the course of the season as an actual competitor to the league. I don't know how you feel about it from that perspective. Yeah, I, I did. I actually watched a, a good portion of it uh, on Thursday. Uh, I didn't watch Friday or Saturday, and I just tuned in on Friday to see their viewer numbers. And it was like half of what it was on Thursday. So I, I think what we might see is what we saw when, what was the first spring league football league a couple of years ago? Was it the AFL? And I remember the opening weekend, like a ton of people watched because it was like the first competitor to the NFL in like a decade. Was it the initial XFL relaunch? I think the AFL has been, been the arena football league. Um, but but you could be right. I. It, they all come together. And again, I've watched maybe a few games of each and then I completely tune it out because it hasn't yes. been able to to keep my interest long term. I'm, I'm sure somebody that's uh, that watching might might have a general idea uh, of what that was that league was. I, I think they think uh, we also we saw a couple starts from one of their their best quarterbacks who landed ended up becoming like a third string quarterback for like the Raiders or something. Yeah, wasn't it Trace McSorley? Was it him? Uh, if it was McSorley, so that would have been for, for Baltimore. Is either McSorley, there was another guy, um, Cooper something. I, I'll, we'll have to look it up, but yes, like yes. a few names actually were able to cross over from this league, uh, into the NFL to get some roster spots. Um, yeah. Kind of taken away from, from, from the CFL, um, which, uh, <laughs> was a nice opportunity to, to bring some guys over. I remember, uh, Trey Roberson, former Indiana Hoosier at one point. I thought was going to be a little steal for the uh, for the Chicago Bears at the cornerback spot. No dice. People forget uh, Warren Moon was a big CFL player. Yeah, Warren Moon, Flutie played in the CFL. A lot Warren of Moon, great names. Warren, uh, the Blue Bombers this year have the, become a complete side note. But the Blue Bomb, Blue Bombers this year have the chance to become the first three peak Grey Cup champions since the Warren Moon uh, Edmonton Eskimos won like five straight back in the '80s. So a little connection oh. to Warren Moon back then. Um, no, go ahead. <laughs> Listen, anytime we have an opportunity to to drop a little bit of Blue Bombers and Warren Moon, I'm I'm not going to turn it down. I think I think that's really what the people have come to see. I did want to say one final note about the Live Golf Tour, and it, it's kind of their biggest issue because they can get all the talent in the world that they want to get over there, but the, their biggest issue is that nobody cares who wins the event. Like, it's, 
most of the time people don't really watch golf because they want to watch like high level golf. They want to watch to see who wins the, the event, whatever event it is. It's like, okay, who's going to win and right. in my case, the Canadian open, because it's my country's tournament, who's going to win, you know, the players championship, who's going to win the FedEx cup. Uh, nobody cares who's going to win the live in, uh, international London event. Like it's just, who cares? Right. So, There's no gravitas to any of the actual tournaments yet. Right. Exactly. So, so. Eh. We'll see whether or not they're able to put it together. I have my doubts, but there's plenty of money. And a lot of times with money, uh, you get some bit of interest initially. It's the question of how you keep a lot of those viewers um, fully engaged the rest of the way. But I do want to talk about an actual PGA event. You talk about Gravitas. U.S. Open coming up uh, next Thursday. So we are already five days away from the third major of the year. Uh, if you're looking at some of the uh, the major names at the top of the list, uh, the usuals are, are going to stand out as always. John Rahm, Scotty Scheffler, currently the co-favorites at 12 to one over at WinBet. Justin Thomas and Rory McIlroy at 14 to one. Um, you know, one one guy that I was thinking about, you know, your guy Sam Burns. Right now, he's th- currently 30 to one. Um, if you think Burns is going to come down and win this event or possibly finish top two, top three, um, you might want to jump on him before today is done. If you're talking about futures, because I would imagine that number continues to go up 30 to one for a name like Sam Burns. He probably wasn't in that category uh, even about a month or so ago. He's probably in that 60 to one or 80 to one category. But if you're looking at some of these early names, Cam Smith is there at 15 to one, Morikawa and Shoffley are 20 to one. Kepka, uh, DJ is on the list, even though he's playing in the live tournament at 25 to one. Spieth and Fitzpatrick there as well. Are there, is there anybody Anyone in particular that you look at the futures list before really diving into our full coverage over the course of the week that you say to yourself, okay, that, that's a good number. That's not just a reasonable number. That's a good number to jump on from the earlier side. Well, first of all, great point about Sam Burns, because usually what sports books do is they like have just the rods open and they really like kind of key them in on Monday after the previous tournament. Especially if Sam Burns plays well today, you will not be able to get him at 30 to one. So yeah. Uh, I will be betting on Sam Burns today before he tees off. I'll be betting on him to win the U.S. Open. So great point. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, But the golfer that I am looking at uh, is a guy who I've already bet on several times this season. He's already broken my heart at the last major championship (laughs) when he finished, uh, when he started the last uh, day um, in second place and then collapsed is Matt Fitzpatrick. I will, this will be my last time betting on Matt Fitzpatrick, but he's just too good. Uh, Don't make promises you can't keep, Ian. I've I've been right there with you. Don't make those promises because you know at some point you're going to go right back to him. It was Corey Connors before, and then it was Matt yes. Fitzpatrick. They, these guys are going to live around you for a long time. Yes, and then I bet on Corey Connors again this week to finish top five, and he, he stunk. <laughs> so, uh, but Matt Fitzpatrick first still on 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 tour in total strokes gained. Statistically, right. he's actually been the best golfer on tour this season. Third in, t- in strokes gained tee to green, 32nd in putting, eighth in around the greens, 24th in strokes gained approach to green. But also there's a little bit of history uh, this this week with Matt Fitzpatrick where the, he won the U.S. Amateur, uh, or as they say in golf, Amateur, uh, at Brookline uh, back in 2013, I think it was. So obviously that's a long time ago, almost a decade ago. Uh, but he's going to have confidence. He's going to have maybe a little bit more course experience uh, than the other guys this week, even though it was that long ago. That confidence still has to carry over a little bit. Uh, and he's played well this week, too, so pretty good form heading in. Um, he was, I think he was leading after, I think he was leading heading, the, heading into the weekend and then only shot, I think, even par yesterday. So he's 
what he's like still top 10 as of right now heading in the final yeah. round like he's too far back to probably come back and win i think his odds are like 60 to 1 to come back to win um but still regardless good form statistically has been the best golfer on tour this year still doesn't have that win in north america which is obviously his big uh kind of concern but i think brookline fits him well he's won here in the past i'm gonna give it a shot another shot with matt fitzpatrick fair enough 25 to 1 feels like a, a reasonable number for a guy that's been consistently good all year long you just hope that he finally is able to put it together i remember for a one for a long time after the uh after the pga got back and started after you know that three-month break once COVID hit Fitzpatrick for about maybe like a year long stretch didn't miss a cut. So he's always been a guy that's like hanging around, hanging around, starting to finally break through a little bit and then just not giving you what you need on the back end. But I, I think that's a perfectly reasonable play. I don't know if this is, is, is a bit chalk. I guess the number would indicate that it is, but I just think Cam Smith at some point needs to put all of these incredible rounds together. The numbers kind of like Fitzpatrick, really back him up as far as somebody that is giving you elite levels. He's eighth on the tour amongst the field of the U.S. Open in total strokes gained. He's fifth in short game, fifth in approach, ninth around the green, 10th in putting. The issue for him has been off the tee where he ranks 81st. But like we know with Cam Smith, that doesn't feel, and these are in his last 24 rounds, I should mention. We know that historically that's not really been an issue for him. It's been an issue for him as of late, but we're still talking about a guy that won the uh, the players back in March, finished third at the Masters, 13th at the PGA Championship. Ian, he hasn't finished worse than 15th, other than the missed cut at the Sony Open, since he finished 34th in August of last year at the BMW. He's always around the top 10. He's always around the top five with four top five finishes uh, over his last eight tournaments. And I, by the way, I, I screwed up. He didn't uh, miss the cut at the RBC Heritage. So we're talking about two missed cuts um, on January and then in April. But every other tournament, especially with majors, he's right there in the thick of things. 15-1, to maybe it's a, it's a bit of a, a bit of a chalky play, but when he's at his best, he's among the elite in the game. And we've seen him play exceptionally well. It just hasn't lasted for the course of an entire tournament. But I think the U.S. Open can get him there this year. Yeah, he he, he hasn't been playing well this week. He did make a cut this week, but he's T42. He just teed off. Um, my, I, I, my biggest concern with him is his driving accuracy. Usually U.S. Open, too, the rough is so thick that you have to be accurate or else you're hitting yeah. with a tall fescue all day. So I need to take a little bit further look into Brookline to see just how bad that rough's going to be. Uh, but that would be my number one concern with Cam Smith would be his driving accuracy. Cause that's really the only weakness of his game, but that could cost him at a U.S. open event. Perfectly reasonable. I figure with the, with the really good iron play and also his ability to chip and putt, he can get himself out of trouble. Uh, good sand save percentage for Cam Smith too, but you're right. If you get into the really thick shit over at the U.S. Open at the country club, that's going to be a problem. We'll have plenty more coverage, by the way, all throughout the week on U.S. Open. Ian's going to be back on Monday for Green on the Greens with Cody Williams over at Fanside. You can catch that show live at 6 p.m. East Coast time right here on YouTube. So make sure you guys come back for that. You guys will have your top fades, uh, best bets, outright plays, and then top five, top 10, and top 20. Anything I'm missing from uh, that upcoming show? No, it's perfect. Awesome. So be sure you are back again. Also, we have a really exciting announcement coming on Monday as well. Uh, if you enjoyed our Masters contest and PGA Championship contests, uh, we had an opportunity to compete in a uh, in a giveaway for $500. I think you're really going to like this one for the U.S. Open. We'll give you all the details coming up on Monday, so make sure you guys are following us 
at BetSided on Twitter to check that out. All right, and before we get out of here, let's dive into best bets for today. You got one on the Sunday night game for uh, the Mets and the Angels. All of a sudden, the Red Hot Angels, after losing 14 straight, could be back in it. It'll be tough for them to get back into the postseason because no team that has lost more than 11 games in a row in baseball history has ever gone on to make the playoffs, and the teams that have lost 11 in a row have only done it three times, uh, one of them being the 2017 Dodgers, and they were like 55 games over 500 when they lost 12 in a row in September. So it really didn't matter all that much for them. But we'll see what happens now with the Angels. They're hosting the Mets on Sunday night. Uh, give me your play for that game. Who do you like? Yeah, I, if there is a team that can come back and make the playoffs, so I think the Angels might be able to do it. I was talking about this with Donovan uh, on Thursday, and I'll get to, you know, I'm obviously on the Angels. I'll get to my pick here in a second. But usually when teams are on big, long, long losing streaks, it's because they're, they suck and they're just bad, a bad team. I don't think that's the case with the Angels. And I made the comparison uh, with Donovan. I think it's a, like a case where when you're playing blackjack, and the dealer you're playing against just keep gets get, keeps getting like 20s and 21s. And, and like, no matter what you do, you're just losing. Like sometimes cold streaks just happen. Kind of, it's a mix yeah. of other teams are playing is playing well and you maybe not playing your best stuff. So uh, I'm not putting too much stock into the Angels losing streak. I still think they're, they're a very solid team. I'm going to take them against the Mets uh, tonight. The Mets are much worse uh, against lefties this season. They dominate righties, but almost every single batter on the, on, on their team, uh, is, is much worse against lefties and they're facing lefty starter Patrick Sandoval, who's been fantastic this season as a 281 uh, ERA. So I think the Angels have the, uh, the, pit, the starting pitching advantage here because they're going up against Taewon Walker, who has a 3.28 ERA. And the opposite is true for the Angels. Uh, they're much better against righties this season. Obviously, Taewon Walker is a righty sixth in OPS this season. Even with the recent cold streak, they're still sixth in OPS against right-handed pitchers this season. And I think we're starting to see a little bit of uh, regression from the Mets. Uh, they haven't been great this month. Uh, just in June alone, they're 24th in bullpen ERA. I thought their bullpen was kind of uh, uh, overperforming uh, through the first couple months of the season. Also 17th in batting average, 20th in OPS this month as well. So I think we're seeing a little bit of regression from the Mets. Uh, I like the Angels quite a bit, uh, minus 110, basically had to pick them today. Yeah, uh, like like to play a, a lot. And you also mentioned the Mets. So on Memorial Day, uh, on May 31st, the New York Mets were 10 and a half games up on the Atlanta Braves, uh, 12 and a half games up on the Philadelphia Phillies. They were in cruise control in this division. Fast forward to today, June the 12th, Sunday, it's a five and a half game lead for the Mets. And it's not like they've been just completely playing terrible. They're five and five over the last 10 games. They still have a plus 63 run differential, but Atlanta, 10 games in a row. Philadelphia has won nine games in a row. Um, every team is slowly starting to gain on the Mets. And I and I joked with Reed, our, uh, our our resident Mets fan, like at some point, like you start to look at the standings and go, wait, like we're not even losing and we're still starting to find a way to, to turn into the Mets here. Uh, a bit of a precarious situation, but uh, they still they still should win this division. But with the way that the Braves and the Phillies have all of a sudden woken up uh, just in the last, you know, less than two weeks alone, it should pause uh, Mets fans for already celebrating an NL East division, thinking it might be a little bit more competitive than you think. And again, if you're the Phillies, you always knew that that team could hit, but there's still a softball team in the field. So especially with Bryce Harper now having to DH the rest of the year, 
I could see some regression coming their way as far as defense goes. But uh, I do like the Angels play tonight against the Mets and Taiwan Walker. Uh, as for my best bet of the night, I'm going WNBA. Uh, really intriguing matchup that I'm not sure why the odds makers have Phoenix on the road plus eight against the uh, the Washington Mystics. And, and the Mystics are a good team, Ian. Um, elite level defensive team. Well, they haven't really shown over the last few games. They've been shorthanded. Um, they gave me just a terrible beat um, uh, last Wednesday. They were home against the Chicago Sky. Uh, they were up 10 points with 537 left to play. They were up uh, 17 late in the third quarter. Uh, the line was two and a half, and Elena Deladon goes out in the second half. They win the game by two after Chicago comes all the way back in the final five minutes to win it. Uh, lost that game by a half a point. But they're they're banged up, and we're not sure whether Deladon, their best player, is going to go today. Um, I know they've won two games in a row. They beat good competition. Chicago's a very good team. Uh, but they beat Minnesota on the road, who's not particularly good. That's a bottom three team in the WNBA. And conversely, the Mercury started off terrible. But there's a ton of talent on that team. Diana Taurasi, Skylar Diggins-Smith. Um, they're hopefully going to get uh, Tina Charles back today. Um, this is a team that's also won two games in a row. They beat a good Atlanta team at home. Uh, same thing against the Sparks. Beat them by uh, by seven points at home. Yes, they're one and five away, and you're going from West Coast to East Coast. But Washington's banged up, and the thing that they should be able to take advantage of is Phoenix ranks dead last in opponent points for 100 possessions. Washington ranks third. But if you watch Washington's offense operate without Deladon, it's really not the same team. So I think Phoenix is just getting far too many points. The line should probably be closer to four or five. So the fact that I can get them at eight, and I've already seen the line start to move some other sports books towards Phoenix's side. I love the fact right now at WinBet you can get the Phoenix Mercury plus eight. They're playing far better than they have been at the early portion of the season. They're starting to figure out this lineup. This is a team that's supposed to be a top three team in the WNBA this year, and I really like them to get back where they need to be. I don't know if they're going to win outright, Ian, but I do like them at plus eight today. I know you got off to a hot start with your WNBA uh, bets. Are, are Have you still been doing well with them? I've uh, been a little hit or miss. Last Sunday, I got cocky and I wasn't working, and I just decided to throw out some plays on social to say, like, all right, let's let's keep the run alive, uh, and ended up going one and five. So that was after, I think, like an eight and one week, and then it's been a little bit here, a little bit here and there. Uh, I think I have to double check, but I think I am four and three over the course of this week heading into Sunday. So uh, had the run, had the really bad run, and starting to uh, to get myself hopefully back up a little bit more today. I like it. I, I similar vein with me in, in, in well, similar in a sense where a uh, different niche sport I was trying to get into and become like uh, the CFL guy this week. I bet on the first two CFL games and neither hit. So uh, I was on two favorites to cover. They both won, didn't cover. So. I'll get back on the CFL train this week, though. Absolutely. I, I like that all of us are, are slowly starting to dive. Like, Reed has become our, our college baseball guy. Donovan dove headfirst into tennis. Um, you know, Peter's got all sorts of different angles on the NBA that none of us have thought of before. Uh, so everyone's really starting to dive in, cover all these different sports from all the different angles here at BetSide. And that is our show. Appreciate all you guys hanging out with us today. Ian will be back for Green on the Greens tomorrow. We will, of course, have daily bet slip at 5 p.m. on Monday as well. So make sure you guys come and hang out with us for that. And then if I'm not mistaken, are you and Donovan going to have one more edition of the veteran versus the rookie for the Stanley Cup final? Yes, we should. Yeah. 
Uh, Donovan has a one point lead heading into the final round. So uh, in order for me to win, I need to hit both the winner and the exact amount of games. So uh, stay tuned for that. That should be fun. So the rookie coming through for the Stanley Cup Finals, that should be a lot of fun. So for my guy, Ian, I'm Ben. Always appreciate you guys hanging out with us. If you haven't followed us on Twitter yet, make sure you do so at BetSided. And if you've been watching us on YouTube, make sure you guys go ahead, give it the thumbs up and subscribe to the channel as well. We will talk to you again on Monday. Until then, so long, everybody. May all of your best bets hit today. Be good.